So, yeah, good evening. You know what I love about this gang is that, um, is that it does take a small army to, to put all this together so we can come and study God's word. And uh, what I love about the body of Christ is the gifts that you have, the talents that you have, aren't made for you to glorify yourself. But they're made in you so that you can serve the body of Christ. Ephesians talks about, in fact, edifying each other with the gifts we have. And so we have people that have gifts of service and helps. And they've realized, hey, there's a group of people that want to come and study God's word. I can come and do sound or, or sing or just serve. And, and that's what makes this special. Um, so I, I just, I absolutely love being a part of this. Um, I want to finish up Ephesians and we're going to tackle a big chunk today. And so, but I want to start in John chapter six. So take your Bibles out. Let's start in John chapter six. And let me just set the stage with, uh, what we're going to talk about in Ephesians through John six. So John six is where we're at. Look at verse 47 of John chapter six. John chapter six, verse 47, Jesus is talking. You know that because in your Bibles, it's in red letters. And Jesus says this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has what? Has what? Has everlasting or eternal life. Look up at verse 40. For this is the will of my father that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him may have eternal or everlasting life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Even look at verse 29. Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Now take that information. Let's go over to Ephesians 6. The reason I wanted to start there was because I wanted to lay the foundation for having us all realize that if I put my faith in Jesus, what do I get out of that? What does Jesus promise me in four separate passages that, that I inherit because of that? Everlasting or eternal life. And I lay that foundation for us tonight, folks, because what we're about to talk about tonight has souls in the balance here. And because of that, I, I want to assure you as we start tonight that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, your soul is not hanging in the balance. So let's just kind of acknowledge that. That if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, he has guaranteed me heaven, regardless of the number or amount of sins I rack up in a lifetime. And conversely, regardless of how righteous I act in my lifetime. Either way, Jesus says, not based on my works, but my faith, I am going to heaven. Okay, so if you're here tonight and you've put your faith in Christ... As been told, probably from the time you were in Sunday school all the way up till tonight, you are going to heaven. Now, with that as a backdrop, look at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says this. We've been talking about relationships, 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 relationships. And then Paul works down into verse 10 and he says, finally, then let me wrap up this letter to the church of Ephesus. So he says to the church at Ephesus, finally, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, why would Paul say that? Why would he start his conclusion with be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might? And my guess is, is because what he's about to encourage us to do has everything to do with us messing this part up. Because we tend to put our strength in ourselves and we tend to work off of our own power. And so before Paul gets into some very, very serious issues here, he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Now, what I notice about that is. If Paul is commanding me to be strong in the Lord, what do I have the option of doing? Not being strong in the Lord. If Paul is saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, he's really saying, I command you to do this, but I know enough to know some of you aren't going to do this. And as we read in these following passages, guys, if we're going to try to do what he wants us to do in verses 11 through 17 without his strength and without his might, it's not going to go well for us. 
In fact, go back one chapter, look at Ephesians 4, look at verse 15. Paul says in 14, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by the trickier, by the trickery of man, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But he says in 15, speaking the truth in love, speaking what in love? Speaking the truth. And where do we get the truth from? God's word. So speak in God's word to each other in love. We are to what? Grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Paul is telling the church here, one of our responsibilities in living life as believers is to grow up in him. Is to mature in him, is to become sanctified in him, which is a process to be set apart in Christ. And that's a marathon. We all know that that's not a sprint. And so Paul acknowledges the fact that, listen, I can tell you this as much as I want, but some of you are going to choose not to do it. And the problem is the consequences are going to be grave. For watching Ephesians 6 verse 11. Paul says, finally, be strong then in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, he says, that you may be able to stand firm Against what? The schemes of the devil. So let's just unpack that just for a moment. Paul says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Schemes there, some of you have the wiles of the devil. And really the the word there in the Greek is, is methodias. It's the methods or the trickery of the devil. Paul is saying, I want you to pull on the full armor of God as you are strong in the Lord, working off of his strength. And the reason you need to do that is that you may be able to stand firm to hold your position against the trickery or the methods of the devil. I don't take this lightly. And so I want to be careful on how we approach this evening, guys, because I want to talk about the devil. I think, though, as a society, when I even mention that, we have some different understandings of who the devil is. And I think it's purely based on his methods and his trickery. I think that the devil has us exactly where he wants us as a society in terms of the way we view him. If I were to ask you right now to draw a picture of the devil, almost every one of us would come up with a pitchfork, hooves, a tail, horn. Where did we get that from? Is that even in the Bible? Yeah, that's rhetorical. It's not in the Bible. It's our culture. Our culture for over centuries actually has come up with that understanding of who he is. Um, I came up with, I don't know if, if we can, if you guys can see this somewhere up there. Okay. Oh, there you go. Uh, Gary Larson, Far Side Cartoons. Larson says, uh, uh, on the left here, top left, he says, the devil's talking to his, his uh, friend and he says, you know, we're just not reaching that guy because he's happy in hell. So he's whistling while he works and the devil's angry about that because the, the hell is supposed to be some uh, place of torture and he's not reaching that guy. Uh, on this one here, uh, Larson has Scotty in hell from Star Trek and Scotty's complaining to Satan that at the main mega furnace, she's losing power and the temperature is dropping fast and I'm not sure I can hold her. And so the idea here is that hell is, is uh, contingent upon Scotty making it hot enough. Uh, we have others here. Um, Satan's mad because there's graffiti in hell. And if you notice the graffiti, Satan's a warm and tender guy uh, for a pleasant conversation. Oh, look, my dad called. Um, for a pleasant Oops, for a pleasant conversation, call Satan. Um, hey, you call this hot. Um, and so he's upset about that. Uh, down here, despite his repeated efforts to explain things to her, Satan could never dissuade his mother from offering cookies and milk to the accursed. And so Satan's mad because his mom is trying to make hell less torturous than we tend to believe, uh, than the Bible says it is. And Larson has made, obviously, his living off of uh, making these kind of cartoons. Uh, you can go buy costumes 
um, of a South Park representation of the devil and, and of course, the Simpsons. And the Simpsons are having fun with Flanders because he's supposed to be the spiritual guy. And yet in some episodes, they represent him as the most evil one of all. Uh, Our culture goes even further with the music that we listen to. Uh, Does anyone know where this song comes from? Um, They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun because only the good die young. And who is that? That's Billy Joel, of course. And so Billy Joel, actually, I reached a point about a dozen years ago, and I'm not promoting this. I'm just letting you know uh, that I'm a big fan of conviction in Christ, meaning that uh, in the gray areas of life, you have to determine what's right for you and what's not based on what the spirit is doing in your life. And I was driving down the street about a dozen years ago, and I grew up, as many of us did, on Billy Joel and, and groups and artists like him. And I was listening to this particular song, great, great melody. And then I started listening to the lyrics. And I had been, I've sung this since I was a kid, as probably many of you have. And the whole song is about him wanting a Catholic girl to loosen up. And so come out, come out, Virginia. Don't make me wait. You Catholic girl, start much too late. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints because the sinners are much more fun. And only the good die young, Virginia. And I reached a point where I can remember driving down the street and I just turned the radio off. I changed the channel. I said, God, I just, I can't listen to that anymore because it's promoting this idea that hell isn't going to be that bad. And if I have my choice between boring saints and fun sinners, I'm choosing sinners. And so I just, I haven't, I've not listened to that song since. You, you may know this song too. Um, Living easy, living free, season ticket on a one-way ride, asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride, don't need reason, don't need rhyme, ain't nothing I'd rather do. Going down, party time, my friends are going to be there too because I'm on a highway to hell, which is from, yeah, you're embarrassed to say it, but you know you know it. Guys, here's the sad thing, okay, and again, this is, uh, I guess I'm, you know, opening uh, or unveiling my cards here, but I, there are some ACDC songs that I don't mind listening to, if I can say that. But I reached a point where I just, I can't listen to that. They're clearly saying something that is completely contradictory to the biblical truth of, of what hell is. And that I'm on this highway to hell and I'm going to be down there partying with my friends. And it's almost posed as if, listen, if you're religious and you want to do the heaven thing, that's fine. But don't take away our, our rebellion, fun, and, and if hell is going, if, if, that's, if that's kind of the consolation, if I can't get heaven because I'm not righteous enough, don't make hell bad, is what our culture promotes. Um, this is the reality, folks, from, from the Bible. This is who Satan is. There's not one passage that I can turn you to in the Bible that has anything affirming to say about Satan. In fact, in John chapter 10, I believe verse 10, Jesus says his only job is to come and steal and destroy. Now think about what we just started with in John chapter 6. If you're the devil... And you know, um, you, can, you can throw that off if you want, or I don't know how. If you're the devil, and you know that you can't take the souls of those who belong to God with you, then what's plan B? And plan B is all about Ephesians 6, 11 through 17. Plan B is if I can steal and destroy and ruin lives here on earth, though I can't take them with me, and though the war may not have been won, certain battles will go down as Satan won, Christian zero. And I wish, I wish, I wish it could just be that easy. Oh, well, Satan just won another battle. But you know as much as I do. That when we talk about losing battles to the devil, we're talking about lives being destroyed. We're talking about leaving relationships in this wake of 
of anger and pain and guilt and suffering and vengeance and stress and anxiety. And guys, you need to know and I need to know tonight, there is nothing that gives the devil more pleasure than to see the children of God living lives that are contrary to the children of God. And so Satan's going to work hard. In fact, in the book of Job, don't we read that uh, in two different passages in Job, don't we read that Satan is roaming the earth? I heard a pastor say recently, do you realize that Satan could have walked past you today? He's roaming the earth. And he goes to God in that particular book and he says, if you will just let me have some of these people, they won't stand for you. And then the story of Job unfolds. As I was reading that recently, I wondered, what if God had said that about you or me? If Satan came to God tonight and said, give me that person. Take your, your, your shield off of that person. Take your hedge of protection off of that person. Let me have them just for a little bit. I wonder what God would do. Are, are we living lives in the strength of the Lord, in the power of his might to withstand the schemes of the devil. See, for some of us, I don't think you're on the I don't think you're on Satan's radar. I don't I don't think he's worrying about some of us in this room. I know there have been times in my life the last thing Satan needs to do is worry about me because he sets something in motion, he gets in that area where I'm weak. And then he just lets me run with it for a season. And he goes off and, and does his something else. I think often we give ourselves way too much credit. That Satan must really be after me. When all we have to do really is look back on the last season of our lives and think, are we living lives that he would even want to come after? I'll tell you this, uh, if, if you're living a complacent life out there, Christian, uh, I'm not sure these passages apply to you. Because Satan already has, he's won the battle, at least at this point in your life, in terms of you being effective for the kingdom. And now he's moving on, or his demons are moving on to bigger and better things. But, he can't take your soul. And if we can just get back to living in the strength of his might. Then I believe the schemes of the devil, the wiles of the devil will come into play for you. Now, let's just think about this. If you are the devil and you want to take. If you want to use your methods effectively. And so, so I'm the devil up here and, and we're all demons out there. And our job is to conquer or to dissuade believers from living effectively for the kingdom. Let's just talk out loud for a moment. What, what's the, what are effective ways in our society today to throw Christians off the track of living righteous lives for Christ? Just talk out loud. Raise your hand. If you were the devil, how would you effectively, systematically... Get Christians off track in terms of living fully uh, unashamed lives for Christ. What would you say? What's an effective way to do that? Mess with their marriage. Split up marriages. But okay, just can can I probe a little bit, please? How would you do that? Um, Maybe there's an unbelieving spouse and, you know, try to, uh, I don't know, um, tempt the unbelieving spouse. Okay, so we have maybe an unequally yoked marriage, and then we have some struggles there. Okay, fine. Pretty effective. Yeah, right here. Uh, Well, the devil does it to us all the time. If we're on our way to do some kingdom work or a small group or go to Second Saturday, it seems like we're always like have arguments before that time, like a couple hours before every time. Okay. And And then you're less effective in doing God's work. Great, yeah. Without getting in, into politics or policy, I think giving people everything that they want 
in terms of entitlements to make them not work um, and not not be a productive person in society. Let's okay. Put it that way. All right. Complacency and laziness. Sure. Yeah. Uh, right. There's one right back here, and then I'm sorry, right here. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, what society, I think especially the things that are going on right now with the with the new political climate, one of the terms that seem to be keep keeps coming up is legalizing gay marriage in a lot of states, and I think that's one way that Satan's just really attacking marriage, and you know this country being founded on uh, Christian biblical principles. So, okay. And, you know, without getting into that particular issue, I think the Bible is clear. I don't, I'm not sure I get too much pushback on that, that there, there's, God has an issue with homosexuality. But notice what's happening in the church today. In the church today, many churches, guys, here in the valley even, are unwilling to address the issue. It's almost as if we're saying, um, we just don't want to get involved. We don't want to open that can of worms. And, and it comes at a cost. Sometimes silence speaks louder than words. Yeah. Maybe get a little more personal with uh, chemical dependency or a form of dependency. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, apathy or uh, non-authoritative view on God's word? Uh, God's word is subject to my interpretation. And sometimes I'll agree with it and sometimes I won't. Sure. Uh, take your Bibles, go back. Is there another one over here? Yeah, go ahead. Take, um, while while um, this comment's going on, turn back to Luke chapter 4 real quick. Luke chapter 4. Go ahead. One would be to make you ashamed to talk about God out loud in public. To talk about God out loud. Fear. Absolutely. Uh, I was listening to a sermon recently, and they had some of these... Um, what are his methods or trickeries today? Listen to this list. Uh, he keeps us busy with non-essentials. Uh, we're just so busy with things that really don't matter in the long run. How about this one? We're overstimulated with technology so much so that we don't hear God. That we're so busy with technology. In fact, I, on my way back from work, I was listening to talk radio. And the guys were talking about, you know, there's a phobia now of being away from your cell phone. Um, nomophobia. Which means that you are afraid that you can't, you can't locate your phone. And, and yeah, how many of us struggle with that? Really, seriously. How many of you have the phone in your bed at night? They were talking about that's one of the indicators. You may be a nomophobe. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, we have to have it. I get that. It's, you know, but if, if your phone, for whatever reason, lost, crashed, whatever, for the weekend upcoming, could you, would you exist? Would you, would you have, just have a complete breakdown? Um, how about this one? Um, the devil keeps us focused on our external features. And so we just can't avoid based on culture, based on the media, based on just walking through a, a supermarket at the checkout stand. We can't get out of focusing on our externals. And then finally, this list concluded with the devil makes us or helps make us self-sufficient so we don't have to live by faith. That as long as I've got all of my ducks lined up and I'm self-sufficient, I really don't, I, I just don't understand what the big issue is about living by faith. I thought that was a pretty good list. Uh, Luke chapter 4, I just want to highlight this, I guess, because here in verse 1 we have the story. Uh, many of you know the story. This is where Jesus is going to be tempted. Now think about this. Satan has had 5,000 years in between, well, let's just say roughly, between tempting Adam and Eve and now tempting Jesus. He's had 5,000 years to think through. Jesus is about to come onto the scene. And if I can get this guy to fall. Game over. Adam and Eve last like 22 seconds with Satan. Right? I mean, you know, slam dunk with them. Jesus is going to be a different issue. So I got to think. I'm not sure these are the only temptations Satan gave Jesus in the 40 days in the wilderness. My best guess is that he was tempting him a lot. 
But the only ones we have recorded are these three. And these are the three he goes with. The devil said to him in verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus said, man shall not live by... What was, Jesus, what was Satan trying to do there? I think what he was trying to do there was, remember, Jesus was going a, a month and a few days with no food. And so Satan comes along and says, if you're, you know, you're hungry. Uh, if you're the son of God, turn this into bread. Now, if you're without food, if you've ever fasted before, if some of you ever fasted, Hopefully, one of the results of your fasting was a deeper intimacy with God. Hopefully, through that time of of missing something, the point was to draw closer to God. So you can imagine, uh, there have been people, uh, I know Bill Bright did this and and a few others, the founder of Campus Crusade, they they fasted for 40 days. And all of them give the same testimony. I've never felt closer to God. So I'd have to imagine Jesus was feeling pretty close to God and Satan's trying to break that intimacy. So one of the methods or tricks of the devil, guys, is to break your intimacy with God. And I think in our culture today, the way he does that is just to keep us busy, just to keep us busy enough so that when we wake up in the morning, we're tired or when we go to bed late at night, we're tired and we look at our Bibles or we look at our devotions and we say tomorrow. We look at, you know, our podcast lists are full. We just don't listen to them. And so Satan does enough to keep us busy to to break that intimacy with God. Jesus says, no, a man shall not live on bread alone. Then he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said, I'll give you all this domain for its glory and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I'll give you I'll give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall be yours. I think what he was trying to give Jesus here was the power to influence and the power to change reality. And I think he's doing that today. If if he hands us power and authority to make changes today, we tend very easily to give who the credit. So Satan says, I can do that for you. I can make this life good for you. I will give you the trappings of life. The, the, the issue is all I'm asking for is for ownership. I'm asking you to worship me. Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord and serve him only. Third, then he leads him up to Jerusalem, has him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And for it is written, he will give you angels charge to, to, to make an entrance. Or he give it charge concerning you to guard, uh, to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. See, I think what Satan's saying here, by the way, he uses this text out of context. That's not what the passage was saying in the, in the Psalms. And I think what Satan's third temptation or his third trick to do there was to say, use the Bible, Jesus, use the text in here. I'm not going to tell you not to read this, but when you do read it, read it in a way that works for you. Read it in a way that you can live the, uh, any kind of life you want and then twist it so that it makes it work for you. And, and we see this with, with the homosexual issue. I had to do a project for seminary where I had to go down to, to um, Casa de Cristo, I believe, in, in downtown Phoenix. It's an um, inclusive church. Um, and I interviewed the pastor there, pro-homosexual. And I just, I said, I, how do you, I don't understand. So we looked at all the passages that speak against homosexuality. He had an answer for every one of them. And you know what his final conclusion was? God loves us. He used the text for his own benefit. And that was Satan's best, his third shot at Jesus. He's doing it today, folks. So go back to Ephesians 6. And on your way to Ephesians 6, stop off at Mark 5. So I guess you'd have to go backwards, actually. (laughs) Go back to Mark 5. Because I want you to understand this. It's not, I think we hear the term trickery and we think of the cartoon character. And that's not it at all. I want you to understand this very, very carefully tonight. Satan wants to destroy your life. 
And he stops at nothing to do that. And he is very, very powerful. He is not to be treated lightly. And I think the church has done a great disservice recently to focus all of our attention on the here and now. But guys, we are made up of mind, body, flesh, and soul. Suke and, and spirit, pneuma. And when you and I pass away, it's not our body that's going to be resurrected initially. It's our soul that's immediately going to go. That's the spiritual side of us. That's, that's, the, that, that's your being. And that's what Satan's after. He wants to destroy that as best as he can before you leave this earth. And he stops at nothing to do that. And part of, so we focus on, you know, I'm just a sinner and I'm saved by grace. And yeah, but don't live in the here and now. Paul says in Colossians 3, where should our hope be? Where should our thoughts be? Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Because Paul's smart enough to know there is a spiritual dimension that is happening right now, even in this room, where principalities of good and evil are gathering. And we are the centerpiece of that. And so Paul, so, so, so I, I look at Mark 5 here. I just, I just want to point this out real quick. We're not going to read this whole passage, but if you have time, read verses 1 to 20. This is the, this is the scene where, where a guy, Jesus, uh, you know, crosses the sea and, and he comes into this territory. And there's a guy here that the, 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 the common folk there have called him legion because he's demon possessed. And, and they don't know what to do with him. And so he's up in the hillside, he's up in the caves and they've tried to bind him with chains. He's broken out of them. They tried to shackle him. He snaps them. As easy as we would just, just break free of, of something very light on us. But these are chains on him. He snap, he's so powerful he can do that because he's possessed with demons. Not Satan. But even those less of Satan. Are so powerful inside of this person. That they cause him to gain incredible strength. In verse 6 he says he saw Jesus and he runs out crying with a loud voice. What do I have to do with you son of most high God? Jesus says, come out of him, you unclean spirit. He was asking, what is your name? Verse nine. And he said, my name is Legion for we are many. And then G- he said, the, 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 the demons in this guy say, hey, could, okay, please don't, don't destroy us. Send us into the swine here, into the pigs. And Jesus allows it. That's for another time because it's a bizarre story. But what I want to focus on is how many. If you look at uh, verse 13, and Jesus gave them permission, the demons and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About how many? Two thousand of them. Now, again, for another time and place, we can get into a discussion about two thousand demons possessing one person. Why and how? But all I'm saying, guys, is that the devil and his demons are powerful. Very, very powerful. They are not to be messed with. In fact, I I, I can't go back to Ephesians yet. We can't, you can't do it in your own strength. You've got to do it in the strength of the Lord. And you can have victory. Because here's the other thing Satan wants us to believe tonight. He wants us to believe that God has this arch enemy named the devil. And God and the devil just go at it. Battle royale. That every time you see a superhero in today's world, you think of their arch enemy, their their nemesis. And that's what God and, and the devil, that's not biblical. So, so leave here tonight, if you only leave with one thing, leave with that, that God has no equal. Satan is a created being created by God. When Satan inflicted Job, what did he have to do first? He had to get God's permission to do that. God is never threatened by Satan. He's never worried about Satan. He doesn't wring his hand saying, oh, oh me, oh my, what is Satan going to do today? So don't ever believe the lie 
that God is somehow stressed out about Satan. It's just not the case. In fact, and then we will go back to Ephesians 6, but I just, I have to give you this passage in Revelation. Go to Revelation, back of the Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Because I want you to understand you can have victory over the devil. Yes, he is powerful. Yes, he is crafty. Yes, he is out to destroy you and me. But we can have victory. And it all begins with the right perspective. Listen to, listen to uh, chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20. We're coming to the end of time. I, lo- I, just, I love this passage. And I saw an angel, John says, and I saw an angel, chapter 20, verse 1, coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, And bound him for a thousand years, verse 3, and threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so they should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Here's what I want you to note in that particular passage. Just one simple thing. Who bound Satan? Who bound Satan? No. An angel. And guys, the point is this, if Satan is, if it's God, Satan, you have to know God's doing that work himself, right? If, if, if Satan is up here with God, God's saying, I've got to go down there because there's a risk that it might not get done properly. But rather God says, who's busy today? Right. An angel like 43 says, I got a pretty light schedule today, God. Okay, there's a rack of keys over here. Go grab the key to the abyss. Grab it. There's a chain in the closet somewhere. Grab the chain. Go down and bind Satan. Throw him into the abyss. Lock the abyss. And just let's keep him down there for a thousand years. Done. Okay, what's next on the agenda? I mean, really, that's. The the angel we have here in Revelation 20, he doesn't even have a name. It just says an angel. Like Gabriel, Michael, a cherubim. Give me. I was telling my students this the other day. I honestly, you know, you'll get to heaven, guys. We'll get to heaven. You won't even know this angel. You'll be hanging out in your mansion one day in heaven, you know, just shooting the breeze with some angels, some freaky looking creatures, some saints of old. And somehow you'll get on the topic of the binding of Satan. And some angel's going to say, you know, I don't want to brag or anything. (laughs) You know, that was me. (laughs) And we're all going to say the same thing. That wasn't you. (laughs) That wasn't you. That's, guys, that's how powerful God is. So, so let's not, so, okay, now we're back in Ephesians 6. Okay, here we go. I, I, I just want us to understand God is not threatened by the devil. And because we have the strength and power of Jesus Christ in us, we don't need to be either. You do not need to get up each day and worry about that if we do what Paul asks us to do here. Number one, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, number two, so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Here we go, verse 12. For our struggle... The the word there really is our hand-to-hand combat is not against flesh and blood. Now, what did we read about all throughout chapter 5 and into 6? Relationships. Husband to wife, wife to husband, child to parent, parent to child, slave to master, master to slave. And Paul concludes and says, guys, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Why in the world are we beating ourselves up over this? Someone mentioned it over here. Before we go out and serve God, we have this little friction going on in our small group. See, in the devil, you know, if you haven't read Screwtape Letters, go out and get it, C.S. Lewis. And this is, you know, it's all about that. 
let's just let's just mess this up. And then just step back and watch these Christians, these so-called lovers of Jesus Christ who have all of the one another's given to them, encourage each other, forgive each other, love each other, speak the truth. Watch them mess all of this up. Sometimes I, I know this in my life. Sometimes I think the devil gets in my way of messing it up. Because I, I can do a pretty good job on my own. So Paul says your struggle is not against flesh and blood. But listen to this. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have, there's got to be a part of our lives, folks. There's got to be a part of your life and mine that recognizes there is a spiritual realm, a spiritual dimension that we have to pay attention to. And Paul says, your struggles on earth are far greater than that little bickering session you had with your kid or with your spouse. Your struggles need to be higher than that. Because these spiritual beings, he says, these principalities, the world forces of darkness, etc., they're after you. So he says, because of that, verse 13, take up the full armor of God. Now, here's what, here's, and, and if you've been in Sunday school or something like that for any period of time. You probably have seen the flannel graphs. You've seen probably kids come out with the full armor on. And so I don't want to belabor that tonight by way of just uh, going over each piece. But I do want to say this. It's the full armor we have to put on. So I want to read this list. I want you to understand this list and then ask yourself this question. Which piece or what pieces am I struggling with? Some of these you're going to look at and think, truth be told, I don't struggle with this. Praise God. But then look at the whole list because Paul is saying, I want you to be covered head to toe when you stand firm against the devil. He's crafty. And he's not going to go after you in an area that you're strong. He doesn't need to. He's, he wouldn't be crafty if he did that. But rather, he's going to go after an area in your life that you're weak in. So let's look at this list and ask ourselves, God, where am I missing something? Therefore, take the full armor of God, take it up so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Again, he repeats this, stand firm, therefore. In the, in the Greek, that's hold your position. Don't go after the devil, he's saying. But when the, when the devil, in verse 16, when he shoots these flaming missiles at you, stand firm. Okay, God, I'm listening. How do I do that? Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith which you, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it, I may be boldly, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, so go back to verse 14. Now stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins or your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Some of us here this evening are struggling with this idea of girding our waists with truth. Where do you get truth from? You've got to get it from the word of God. And let me just echo that down in verse 17. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Some of you grew up doing sword drills. Um, and you know that's that's just taking Bible verses and putting them in, memorizing them day after day after day. I've been going through some some uh, highs and lows lately. And people have felt the freedom to give me uh, thoughts that they have. Putting it nicely. And when they do that. The ones that teach me the most, quite honestly, are the ones where they quote scripture. In the right context, let me just say. But nonetheless, when people send me emails or texts or, or they, they get into my face and say, Greg, I just want to encourage you with a word from God. And they quote scripture. They are feeding me the truth. And guys, I, I got to tell you, in my situation, when there's highs and lows, probably like yours. We can discern very easily between human wisdom and the truth of God's word. I can appreciate, you can appreciate human wisdom. We can all appreciate encouragement by way of this is my best guess. But there's nothing like standing on the word of God and offering that to somebody else. There's nothing like it. If I'm on the giving end, though, of a conflict between two friends or some, you know, some stuff going on in a friend's life and I want to encourage them, but I'm not in the word myself. It's going to be very difficult for me to offer them God's word. Why? Because I don't know God's word. So then what do I default to? What do you default to? Our wisdom. Why? Well, you know, I, I don't know. It seems like, you know, you made this decision and because of that, I think you should do this. Okay, that's fine. But are you saying that? Or are you getting that because you've been in the word of God? The, the, the best way I know how to stand firm against the devil is to focus on the word of God. It's the absolute best way. How many of you can testify that you will read something in God's word and almost miraculously the light bulb will go on? How does that happen, right? And you've read God's word, I've read God's word, you'll read something, the light bulb will go on and you'll, it's almost like you got to take a step back, you got to take a breath and say, God, how did that just happen? Dare we even say almost magical the way that happens? And yet throughout the word of God, what do we have? Promise after promise. Stay in my word. You will live a better life. I will bless you because of that. Blessed is the man who plants his roots where? Deep down near the streams of water. For he's going to bear much fruit. You got, we have to get into the word of God. Have put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, simply there what Paul is saying there is you and I have to be about the business of making right choices. So let's stack these. Get into the word of God, make right choices. When the word of God says do something, conclusion, do it. That's, that's, that's what I take that to mean. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, are we living lives that are promoting peace amongst the brethren. In addition, take up the shield of faith. I mentioned that before. Are we living by faith? So that we may be able to extinguish these flaming missiles. And then take the helmet of salvation. And, and let me just, I guess, close with this. When you look at that, take the helmet of salvation, sort of the spirit, uh, and, and praying at all times. And, and prayer really is, is the foundation here. But when you look at the helmet of salvation, when is the last time you rejoiced in your salvation? See, when I look at that and think about taking, putting on the helmet of salvation, one of the things the devil cannot take from me, though he has tried many times, is the joy of knowing where I'm headed. Amen. If you know, guys, beyond a shadow of a doubt, where you are headed, no matter how difficult this life gets, you can go to bed beat tired, but joyful. You can wake up exhausted, but there's this inner joy in you. And dare I say, those around you will notice. 
I don't want to live a perfect life because I know I can't, but I do want to live a joyful life. I do want to live a life of hope. I do want to live a life where I can pick myself up after making some bad choices and still get up each day and say, God, it's another day. I'm ready if you are. And it's because I've put on the armor of God. The homework maybe for this summer as we break for the summer is to look at my life, to look at your life and to ask myself as I leave tonight, have I put on the armor of God as a Christian? And maybe we can spend the summer in some, in our personal study time, revisiting that list and asking God, God, where can you shore me up so that when we come back together in July, we can tackle some amazingly cool and fun passages together. But all the while have great stories about how we were able to withstand the schemes of the devil this summer so that he doesn't steal our joy, so that we come back just more full and more prepared to hear what God has to say. Okay, we're out of here. God, we thank you and praise you for Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I know I came in kind of on the back half, but what a joy it has been to spend time with these fellow men and women of Jesus. Asking you week after week, God, teach us. God, show us your truth. Father, allow us, Holy Spirit, come alongside us and and just allow us to embrace some things that we need to hear. And what's been exciting for me, Father, has been every week I've left here changed just a little bit Even if it's uh, just drawing a little bit closer to you, I've left changed. I'm so thankful for that. If for no other reason, God, that you brought us together, it was to help me draw close to you. And so, God, I praise you for that. Pray, Father, that as the summer uh, comes with all of its um, blessings and yet challenges with schedules and vacations and all the reasons not to come to church, even for some of us, because it's just so stinking hot out that we would embrace this precious letter and live in your strength. Father, that we would have wonderful stories to share with one another in a couple months on how we withstood those schemes of the devil. And Father, that when we do that, we know that the angels in heaven are rejoicing with us, cheering us on, so that when our day is called, A crowd will gather and usher us into the kingdom where we will rest forever. This side of heaven, there is work to be done. May we be diligent about that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. We will see you in a couple months.